looking to make it a little lighter. <laughs> Are we mutually aligned oh, right now? Oh my goodness. Uh, there's, there's always, always two <laughs> versions. I mean, you're moving a little slow, but... Working I, I, really a, hard. <laughs> we'll definitely talk about that later. <laughs> Love or... It's fall, y'all. So welcome to another episode of Love or Work. This is your host, Jeff. And Andre. What did you think about my intro? It was fresh. I said, let me try. Let yeah. me start. You gave it a new, fresh take on something that's been around <laughs> for a while. I, was, I don't know if it's better. Really? Why do you always got to start, though? I mean, it's just the way that we've always done it. <laughs> So just because it's the way it's always been does not mean it's better. I mean, we could put this in on Instagram. We could ask the people. (laughs) I don't think anybody cares. I really don't think anyone cares at all. We need to talk about this episode. It's going to be a good one. Because I think everybody's going to care about this one. (laughs) Or everybody should care about this one. Nah, they just do. They're not going to say that they do. They're just going to listen to it and think that. Well, as we know, based on our research, we know y'all. We know what you listen to. And we know what you like. Sex. Oh, you just jumped it. But yes, we know that you listen to the sex episodes the most. Yep. So we are excited to bring this episode to you about sex, but also very important that it is in our wellness series because we think that this is an essential part of health and wellness. Well, well, well. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, what you're going to hear today is a recording from this date night we hosted. And so there's going to be a two-part series, and the first part is going to be this talk that Lori Watson gave. And yes. Lori Watson is this amazing sex therapist. She was on our show a couple of years ago, and we invited her to Atlanta. We had about 50, 60 people there, and it was incredible. So the, yes. first, the first episode today is going to be her talk. Yes, which she gives a talk about pursuers and withdrawers. And you will have to listen to find out what that means. But the next episode next week will be the infamous Q&A. Oh, the Q&A. The Q&A. I mean, it gets there. It, it gets, gets spicy. Oh, yeah. It was a good one. I got a little out of my So skin. you don't want to miss next week's Q&A. But as you kind of download this, I would text it to your partner right now. Because it's a great thing for you to listen to separately and talk about together. Now, for the record, I said text, not sext. Oh, oh, well, you could do not, that you, too. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, you could do that. I mean, it is kind of interesting if you text someone a sex talk. It's technically a sext. Wow. <laughs> well, that's a great lead-in because we should always be talking about sex, baby. Man, what is happening with you? I am doing good today. I mean, I don't know where all these things are coming from, but I'm just feeling it. And it's probably because it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. And so let's hear it. Here's Lori Watson, and it's all about sex. So I have my husband with me tonight up there. I always tell him I hate it when he comes because all my good jokes are about him. But we've been married for 35 years, and we have three grown sons. And I'm not sure whose great idea it was to give the speaker whiskey tonight before we started, but we are having fun. 
And you all are having wine, so that's a good thing. This is kind of a talk that you need a little bit of wine for. You know, as I watched what you asked, I thought I would begin with just a tiny bit of explanation about a romantic relationship and what goes into it. And there's actually two primary cycles that kind of have a push and a pull to it. And that's the sexual attachment cycle and the emotional attachment cycle. Love and work, so apropos for what I'm going to say. Uh, really, love and work is how we find happiness. You know, we, when we're at work, we're not at home with our loved one. When we're with our family, we can't be at work. And so there's always, we understand that tug. You know, if we're entrepreneurs or if we're in business, we understand there's a, a huge difficulty in managing that balance. And in marriage or in long-term partnership, there is kind of this dynamic that happens where, for whatever reason, one person seems to be more drawn and more aware of their needs for closeness and connection. They, you know, they want time together. They want to talk. They want family time. They want to spend, you know, um, share feelings. That was the big one, right? Emotions are so hard to share. And the person who wants that, I call them the emotional pursuer. And the, the other person, it's not that they don't need closeness. They do. They need connection, too. But for whatever reason, they often get focused on work. Sometimes they get focused on raising a family. Their energy, their intensity goes outside the relationship into an endeavor. And we call them the emotional withdrawer. Emotional pursuers, um, you know, over time, when they get a little insecure, you know, and I, I identify, whoops, as an emotional pursuer, um, we start to check in. Right? Is everything okay? You know, are, are you doing okay? You know, I, I, I don't know. There, there's just something. I, I, I'm just feeling, feeling something. Are, are we all okay? We get a little anxious. We start asking questions. You know, and then if we don't get satisfaction and we feel secure again, we ramp it up. You know, I've noticed, and this was me early in my marriage, I literally kept a calendar of how often my husband was home and how often he was away doing all the other activities. You know, it's like, you know, I've noticed you've only been home two nights this week. We've only had dinner as a family, like, you know, maybe once, and, you know, you said you'd be at the kids' soccer game, and that work thing came up, and pretty soon we start to sound a little more energized, a little more critical. The goal of anger when you're an emotional pursuer is change. We want something to be better. We want there to be closeness and connection, and so that's why we get a little frantic about it. There's a good purpose in that. We want our partner's awareness. We want them to, to listen. But guess what happens to the emotional withdrawer? Uh-oh. You know, I'm going to come home. My I'm late. Oh, my gosh. My partner's going to be upset with me. The emotional withdrawer starts to pull away. Basically, their body tells them, this thing that's happening over here, it's dangerous. 
And so I got to keep things calm. So if I just don't say anything, maybe my partner will just calm down a little bit. Right? And so for them, you know, it's, they don't have bad reasons for working. They're trying to support their family. They're trying to get a business off the ground. You know, and they come into relationship with a long history that says, you know what, um, you know, people, they're a little erratic. And so now my partner's acting that way. They're angry at me all the time. I don't really know what to do about that. I don't know, you know, how to make this balance happen. And so I, I just better, like, work harder. You know, if I work harder, I'll make more money. My partner will be happy. You know, something's got to shift here. And so they pull back relationally. Guess what happens to the pursuer when their emotional withdrawal pulls back? Makes us more frantic. Like, you're not talking to me. You're not telling me what's going on. You're not sharing your feelings. I don't know what's happening. And that makes the emotional withdrawal shut down harder. Withdraw. Stonewall. I, I don't like this criticism. I don't know what to say to you. They hear a message that says, ironically, you're failing me. Over and over again, they hear the message, you are failing. You know, if I'm an emotional withdrawer, it's like, ooh, I'm working my ass off, you know? I'm trying to get this thing off the ground. I'm trying to make you happy. And all I get from you is that I'm not good enough. And you know what? Last weekend, I did spend time with the family. I did come home early, and what did it get me? You know, it didn't get me anything. No matter what I do, it's not enough for you. Shut down. Well, guess what happens then in the sexual attachment cycle? We have another cycle that is going on that is parallel to our emotional attachment cycle. In the sexual attachment cycle, some of us come into partnership and we are oriented in our bodies. Our body is a playground. This is where we feel safe. It's where we feel the deepest connection is physically and in intimacy. In sexuality, most of us get married because we want ready sex. Amen? Yeah, can I get another amen? Woo! Right, we marry because we think, you know what? I'm going to marry the goose that lays the golden egg. And I, I, I'm always going to have the sex that's available. Well, others of us, you know, maybe some of it biologically different. Women have a lot less testosterone. Men have this much testosterone. How many of you heard that women come into their sexual peak at 35? Some of you are about 35, right? Actually, women come into their peak at 18. And they have this much testosterone at 18. Testosterone is the hormone that drives us with physiological hunger for sex. At 18, we're like this. At 40, we're like this, women. At menopause, and I am definitely menopausal, we are like this. That's the hormone. And our male partners are probably like this by the time we are menopausal. So they still got lots of testosterone. 
lots and lots. It's a whole different body. You know, we're looking at each other. We think we're humans. We're actually very different species in terms of gender. You know, the, the gender of a woman, the gender of a man, the, the biological gender, our testosterone is very different and causes us to feel something different. Does that mean that women don't want sex? Does that mean that women are all sexual withdrawers? No. Actually, I'm a sexual pursuer. So I identify completely with the side of the continuum that says physical intimacy makes me feel safe. Physical intimacy is the greatest joy in life. It's excitement. You know, we're doing a lot of drudgery, right? We're going to work. We're raising kids, changing diapers. Trust me, parenting doesn't get easier as children get older. If anything, it gets more complicated and more dire because they make these really important decisions. And then there's grandchildren to boot that you worry the heck out of. Yeah. So I lost my train of thought with grandchildren. It's like I really want grandchildren and I am completely denied. So in the sexual attachment cycle, one party, not necessarily male, and the other party, not necessarily female, have a push and a pull. One person often wants more sex, pushes for it. Guess what, guess what you know, you know it's, it's Friday night. You know, I came home, I thought all men just dropped their briefcase and want, you know, dropped their pants. You know, I, I am actually married to the man who wants emotional connection first. He wants that glass of wine and he wants to talk and he wants to connect first. You know, some women out there, y'all are kill for that. You know, but, but when I was a newlywed, it was like, what's going on? Do you not, are you not attracted to me? Do you not want me? It made me feel really frantic and really anxious. And the sexual withdrawer, it turns out, is often a person who likes sex. Now, you can't tell their sexual pursuing partner that because they're already decided that you're frigid and that you don't like sex after all and that you're not really a sexual person. I have talked to hundreds, probably thousands of couples at this point. And the sexual pursuer always tells me, you know, my partner, you know, never, never wants sex, never masturbates themselves. Trust me, Lori, they never do. You know, and of course I talk to them privately and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I like sex. But what frightens me about sex is the intensity and the fact that no matter what happens in bed, my partner tells me I failed. I'm like, really? Failed? Yeah, they like say, was it good for you? I'm like, oh, and that's a message to you that you failed? Yeah, because like, you know, they couldn't tell it was good for me and they want me to talk about it afterwards? Are you kidding me? We just, I just, I just made, you know, made love with them and then they want to talk about it then and then they want to talk about it at breakfast. And, you know, it's like I keep hearing the message that I have failed. Sexual withdrawers hear me like sex. They often feel sex. This is, this is going to blow your mind. They often feel sex very intensely. Getting naked, conquering their inhibitions, feeling self-conscious, having an orgasm. Those are hard experiences for sexual withdrawers. 
that intimacy and vulnerability that is necessary to enter the relationship joyfully is a huge problem for them internally, intrapsychically. Sexual pursuers say, oh, forget it, Lori, they're just trying to control me. I'm like, well, they, they are trying to control something, but usually they're trying to control the intensity of the experience for themselves. That's why they control frequency, why they control variety, why they control intensity, not because they don't love you and maybe would want those things, but you got to make it safe for them somehow or another to want those things with you. Like every little crumb they give you, you know, just shut up and say thank you and don't ask them if it was good for them. And don't say, you know, what can we do better? Like, I'm a sexual pursuer. I want to know what we could do better. You know, that was hot. That was great. That was an 11 on a 10, you know, scale of 1 to 10. Now what do we do? You know, all my enthusiasm. And what that, ironically, the crazy thing about my enthusiasm is it sends a message to my partner that says it wasn't good enough this time. Sexual withdrawers are very present focused. If you ask them, you know, what was the best, what was the best sex we've ever had? They're like, ah, uh, is this a test? Oh no, oh no, I'm gonna fail, I know I'm gonna fail. But sexual pursuers can name three of the best times like that. They know, you know, they, they get it, they have it on the tip of their tongue, you know, and they want to talk about it. Sexual withdrawers, kind of what we need to do is, uh, in order to heal the sexual negative cycle, when it's a push and a pull and it gets strangled, is we need to learn about our own bodies, and I'm going to talk about that. We need to learn our sexual history and just kind of take responsibility for ourselves. Sexual pursuers, what do y'all need to do? You need to offer encouragement every single time. That was great, honey, awesome. Like, don't say as much as you wanna say. And I know, I wanna say a lot. I wanna talk about it, I wanna review every little bit. I get that, I really do get that. Even though I'm female, I get that. My husband would say, yes, she gets that, right? <laughs> But as a sexual pursuer, you have to be very, very careful because that enthusiasm, guess what happens when you start seeing your partner withdraw and say three times in a row, no, I'm, I don't want sex. You know, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm sorry, honey. I, I just can't do it. As a sexual pursuer, do you know what that does to our hearts? It's like, oh, my God. I'm married because I wanted a supply of ready sex. I promised fidelity, and now I'm trapped. And there's a desperate feeling that goes on inside us that says, uh-oh, you know, it's been three times. Well, what do I got to do? I got to ask more. That's what I got to do, because I got to get up to bat. You know, if I'm getting struck out, I better get up to bat more. So I ask, I ask, I start to criticize. We're never, you know, we never have sex. It's been 10 days since we've had sex. You know, my partner hears the message. What is my partner here? Rejection. You're not good enough. You're not sexual enough. 
One of the most terrible things about having a conversation about sex is this problem. And people, when they come to see me in the office, it, it took tremendous courage, I know, for all of you to get here. You're showing up. You're letting other people know that you might be interested in sex. Oh, my God. You know? And, and when people come to my office, there's this fear. Getting help for sex is something that we don't do culturally. We don't talk about with our friends, you know, with our friends about sex. We don't do any of that stuff. And so the fears are, I'm going to discover that I'm really not attractive to my partner. That's why they don't want me. Or I'm going to discover that my partner thinks I'm a lousy lay. I'm a lousy lover. My partner thinks my penis isn't big enough. That's why they don't want me. My partner thinks my breasts are too droopy. That's why they've stopped initiating. I mean, these ignite in us primitive fears, utter rejection. We get attached in life in one way. Our mother holds us. Our parent cuddles us and looks at us with a loving gaze at this distance. That is actually the way we develop self-esteem, is the love and touch of our parents. And then in marriage, in a romantic relationship, that translates to the need for touch, affection. We hit puberty, touch and affection becomes eroticized. When we're past 13, we start to think about touch as sexuality. Romance desperately needs sexuality and emotional connection for us to feel happy. Okay, here's the kicker. The emotional cycle impacts the sexual cycle and vice versa. We know the research demonstrates that over 60% of all women say, I need emotional connection in order to have sex. I need to feel safe and connected with my partner. The problem is, if they're a sexual withdrawer, they are dysregulating the sexual cycle, and their partner, who feels love and connection in intimacy, cannot give the emotional connection that stabilizes them. So they're like, yeah, I get you need emotional connection, but you know what? I feel a lot more open and a lot more vulnerable once I've had sex. I'll, I'll talk to you all night long. Let's have sex first, because that's what melts my heart. That's what makes me feel safe. My body says, you know, I'll tell you anything after we've had sex. And their partner says, no, you need to spend a couple hours with me talking to me so that I, my body regulates so that I can relax to want to have sex. Because I don't want to have sex until I feel that relaxed thing. I mean, all of you have heard this a bazillion times, right? You've heard it from, in jokes, you've heard it probably from each other. I can't have sex, you know, because I don't feel connected. Well, I don't feel connected unless we have sex. Not. Stand still, power struggle. Sometimes I do challenge people. It's like, I get it. 
I am female. I love to be emotionally connected too, and you know, before I have sex. But every single time, you know, especially if I have a partner whose body gets regulated sexually, and then their heart melts afterwards, you know, maybe there is a best time so that I can give sex knowing that I'm going to have the result that I want, which is emotional meltiness later. And I know that's a challenge. It's a real challenge. How many minutes have I got? Oh, man, I am talking fast. Okay. Does this hit anybody out there? Anybody anybody, sound familiar to you, this cycle thing, the push and the pull? Okay, the good news is, wait, the bad news is that most couples endure the cycle, the negative cycle, for at least 15 years in their relationship. Oh, my God, are you kidding? But we can heal it tonight. We can change this by understanding what our move is, what we can give our partner. We know what our partner does. We think it's our partner. If our partner would just change, things would be so much better. We don't see that as pursuers, our frantic energy that changes into criticism, that changes into anger, that starts to throw messages of you're not good enough, you're failing, is the very thing that our withdrawing partner says, oh, you know what, I I knew you were going to reject me. I I always knew I wasn't good enough. I'm telling myself I'm failing. My heart is in my stomach. My stomach hurts when I talk to you about this. So I'm just going to back up and, you know, I don't know what else to do. What am I supposed to do in the face of all this criticism? Same sort of thing in the sexual cycle. Same thing. The only way we solve sexual problems is just have more sex, right? That's what you're telling me, Lori? Just do it, right? Nike, just do it, and it'll all be better. I'll give my partner everything they want. And then what? They're not going to give me anything. They're going to go to work and be happy. You want me to do that, Lori? No, actually, the way we solve sexual problems is by talking about it. I I know that's lame. I I know you want spicy tips, and we're going to get to a few spicy tips, too. But, But the reality is we have to become vulnerable in both cycles in order to heal them, and we heal them simultaneously. So we tell our partner, you know what? I hate that you don't have as much sex as you want. I know there's parts of me that are totally blocked, and that's not fair. And I get it why you're grumpy and why you're angry. I do, I do. But I I don't know. It's like I, I just, I don't see my way through this. I need you. And when you ask me for sex, the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh, my God. You know, the last time we had sex, I didn't have an orgasm, and you were upset and, and I, I just start to feel frantic. And when I feel frantic, my body shuts down. That's what's going on with me. Can you tell me what it's like for you to be vulnerable? Because I know it is vulnerable when you ask me for sex and you're afraid I'm going to say no. Sexual pursuers, you all know this one. 
when you were dating early in relationship, you were sexy. You set it up. You went on date night. You spent money. You spent time. You spent sexy on making it happen, right? Getting into their pants. You knew how to do it. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it took a lot. And then later on, after you've been rejected 500 million times, you're like, you want to do it? You know, that, that, it's really hard to come to that kind of energy and want to do it when your partner used to be really sexy in the way they seduced you, and now their defeat has, has dampened even their own spirit about it, and all they got is, you know, checking it out. You want to do it? My husband came into the house the other day, and it was a really hard day for me. I was sitting at the table, and um, he, he came in the door. Of course, the dogs greet him. He's, he's the alpha. And um, he looks over at me, and he says, are you tired, hon? And I said, yeah, I'm just, I'm beat. I'm a sexual pursuer. I should have picked up on that. And so later on in the evening, I said, honey, like, was that like a request? <laughs> Were you just checking out to see if I had it? You wanted sex tonight? You know, yes, yes, I got that. I got that. That's, I got energy for that. You know, but I think, you know, in marriage or in part, long-term partnership, we damp down many things that would still work. And people have told me hundreds of times, Lori, I've done all that. I've done everything you have suggested, and nothing works. I'm like, you are caught in a negative sexual cycle. And there is a way out. And it doesn't have to mean other partners. It doesn't have to mean affairs. We can keep our pledge of fidelity, and we can find our way out. This is what it requires. It requires tremendous courage and vulnerability, not blame. You've got to erase all the blame from your vocabulary. If you're a withdrawer, it requires tremendous courage. Derek and I, we had an emotional um, pursue withdraw moment. I've been bugging him. He's a finance guy, and you know, he works with me in my company. I'm a podcaster, but I also am a sex therapist, and I have a big clinic in North Carolina all over the state. And so I'm very busy, and he helps a lot in finance. And, you know, like the cobbler's children who have no shoes, our own finances, I never know exactly the number, and I always want to know the number. You know, how much more can I spend on whatever, X? And I, I can never, you know, I'll ask him, and he'll, like, scurry upstairs. I, I don't know. Well, let's talk this afternoon, you know. But the numbers are never as clear as I want them to be. And I'm like, honey, let's pay somebody to do that for us. And it was a big blow up. You know, we got into a fight about it. And I'm like, I, I just, I, it's incomprehensible to me. We are too busy to be doing our own nickel and diming over our finance. Let's just pay somebody to do that. You know, we have lots of people on staff now. We can, we can do that. No, 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 no. I'll do it. I'll get to it. You know, and then it, there'd be another round, you know, 
do you know the numbers? Well, I'll get to, oh, no, you know, be mad, like I want to buy some furniture or whatever. We went away for the weekend, and as we were coming home, kind of out of the blue, he said, when you asked about hiring somebody to do the finances, I didn't want to do that because I thought, if I don't do the finances for you, I'm not doing my job, and you're going to leave me. I was stunned. Like, he went all the way down into his primary fear about what might happen. And, and to me, it was, just, it was a simple, I mean, it had nothing to do with primary issues. It had to do with practicality. I didn't understand the resistance. But my husband and I had been working for a very long time on deeper vulnerability. And he went to the bottom, and he said, this is what I'm afraid of. I wasn't going to leave. I mean, that was crazy in my mind. But that was what the resistance was about. And many times the surface problem is not the problem. The surface problem is about the cycle. I don't care what problem you tell me. I will put it into the cycle because it's all the same thing. We feel like we're having multiple fights and issues, but it's all about this push and this pull. It's all about one person seeming to want more and the other person backing up and withdrawing. The more the person withdraws, the more the other person feels frantic. The more I push, and I push for very good reason to find change, the more my partner withdraws. Withdrawing people are trying to keep things calm. They have a good purpose. If I just keep things calm, we'll come into our green brain again. You know, green brain is the brain where we can think and talk with each other. Yellow brain, we're a little escalated, probably not so good to make decisions then. And red brain, we're enraged. Nothing's happening. Okay, we solved the cycle with vulnerability. And now we got to talk a little bit about some physiology. Men and women, really different. Really, really different. I mentioned how different we are hormonally. You've all heard women come into their peak when they're 35. We've learned from friends a lot about sex. We've also learned from the movies and social media and porn and, and other places about sex. So I showed a clip yesterday to some people about Outlander. It, it's a great you know, sexy show, and it was a five-minute clip. They undressed, they looked at each other, it was very sexual. They had intercourse, she climaxed, it was a five-minute clip. Total lie. Total lie. It was sexy. I mean, I, I, it turned me on, I got it. You know, it was great. It was great. It was a total lie. So for most women... Um, they come into the sexual encounter at zero. Even if they mentally want sex, their bodies are at zero. For most men, you think about sex and you feel something in your penises. God love you. <laughs> I mean, we would kill for that. I mean, literally, men see their wives walk out of the shower and they feel the beginning of erections. And the problem is, is, in different genders, we think that's what's happening. That's not what's happening to women at all. 
I mean, you come in, she's dropping the groceries, and she's home from work, and the kids are clamoring, and you say, hey, baby, you want sex tonight? And she's like, uh, I haven't thought about it all day. And then your body is already a little bit aroused. And then the kids are in bed, she's exhausted. And she comes into the moment, and you say, is it time? She's like, sure. She's willing to have sex, and that's a great starting place. If you are willing as a woman to start the encounter, that's great. But her body is at zero. It's, that just sucks. I mean, I'm telling you, it sucks to be female. I always say, I'm coming back. If, when I die, I'm coming back, and I'm coming back male, and I'm coming back gay, because I do not want to deal with the heterosexual difference. You know, it's hard. It's really hard work. I mean, I want to have another body that is filled with testosterone just like mine. I can't imagine what that would feel like. I don't have penis envy. I have tea envy. You know, what would it be like to have a body filled with testosterone? And as women, we need to have a little mercy on that. I mean, it's like men have this tanked up gas tank. It's always ready. Most of the time, if you have adequate testosterone, you are ready to have sex. You will feel something in your penis. You will get an erection. Your arousal cycle is complete. Women, we can't even stop thinking about the list for like 20 minutes. The list of all the things we got to do. I mean, it takes us 20 minutes to come into the bedroom and feel a little more focused. And during that 20 minutes, we want to be caressed, we want to have our clothes taken off, we want our bodies held and hugged. We do not really want breast and genital touching. I'm sorry. So disappointing. Because we're not ready. Breast and genital touching in that first 20 minutes feels invasive. Our vulvas are dry. It can hurt. It can feel sandy. Now, as a male, they're like, touch me, baby. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> right? I, I want to I go. And it's so disappointing when she doesn't. It's like, why doesn't she just grab me? You know, because she, that, that isn't in her mindset. That's not how she likes to be touched. So she's doing what she likes, which is this slow touching thing. Let's, let's just sit and talk and cuddle a little bit, okay? And the guy is just deflated. I have an erection. What am I going to do with this erection? It's going to, you know, it's going to go away. <laughs> Wasted. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that suck? I mean, who made this up, right? It's like, gosh. So then women need another 20 minutes. I know. Another 20 minutes of direct, contiguous clitoral stimulation to reach orgasm. 20 minutes. That's, I mean, when I tell people this, they look at each other like, what? You're talking 40 to 45 minutes to, for her to reach orgasm? She's like, oh, I don't get that. I don't get that ever. We are different species. Part of it is testosterone. 
Testosterone connects the brain to the penis. Fantastic. I celebrate men. I, I really do. I, I envy you. I celebrate you. What a beautiful thing to have that kind of body. That's, that's lovely. I'm stuck in a female body, <laughs> you know? And it's going to take 40 minutes. I have girlfriends who say, oh, Laura, you're a sex therapist. It's probably really fast for you, right? I'm like, female, female, do you get it? I'm stuck in the same body you're stuck in. And our bodies don't turn on that fast. It takes us a long time to get to orgasm. Vibrators help. They can shorten either one of those 20 minutes or both of them. And on a Thursday night, when you got no energy, a quickie can be fun for both with a vibrator. 60% of all women, American women, own vibrators. I have resources. I mean, it can be fun. And vibrators are clitoral vibrators because only 15% of all women climax through sexual intercourse. Y'all want to hear that one more time? Only 15% of women can climax hands-off with sexual intercourse. I told George, those of you who listen, George was 50 when I met him, 49. And his head rocked back when I said that. He's like, oh, no. Like, really? And I just know that the list of the women that he had been with was going through his head. He's like, you mean they're, they're all like, fake it? What? What? I, he said, I literally didn't know that women needed that much clitoral stimulation and that women did not climax with sexual intercourse. Only 15% can. It's normal. Women climax through clitoral stimulation. The clitoris is analogous to the penis. That's where our nerve endings are, in a very tiny little space. That's what women need. And they don't need it right away, because what happens if you touch it right away? I just told you she needs 20 minutes, and the guys are like, OK, let's, let's get on that. Let's do that. Let's do that 20-minute thing. It's like. Too soon, doesn't feel good yet. She's got to be in her body. So, whew. sometimes I think though, right, you got to rock and roll if you're female. Sometimes, if you're especially female and the sexual withdrawer, you should put it on your calendar. Don't put it on the couple calendar, because that's just more pressure. And we already know that the cycle is driven with pressure. So put it on your own calendar and say, what do I need to feel sexy? First of all, I need a little time to myself. I'm touched out by the children. I'm worn out by work. OK, hire a babysitter. Go get four hours that afternoon to yourself. I have never made this suggestion to any group and had it turned down. I often ask the sexual withdrawers who are hormonally usually dominantly female. If I told you you could go to a hotel room, rent the hotel room at 3, get a babysitter to come, go to the hotel room and take a really long nap, then get up and take a, by yourself a really long bath, then meet your partner downstairs for appetizers and wine. Don't eat a whole dinner because you know you'll have indigestion. But have some wine and some apps. Go upstairs, have hot, wicked sex. 
Then send your partner home to the children. <laughs> you sleep there all night and stay there till noon at checkout. Would you want to have sex that night, hot sex that night? Every time I've ever said that, the sexual withdrawing woman has said, oh my God, yes. And now it's time for the breakdown. Ooh, that's a lot to break down right there. Yes. The question I have for you, the listener, and for you, the Jeff and Andre couple. What? <laughs> who is the pursuer in our relationship? Oh, yes. I think that's a great question to talk about with your partner is who is the pursuer and who is the withdrawer? And I'm sure as you listen to Lori, the scenarios that she was bringing up, you're like nodding your head at one or the other because you know that's exactly how it plays out or very closely how it plays out in the relationship. And one of the things that I think is super important about really like talking about and knowing this pursuer withdrawer thing is that really she's bringing up just habits that we all have in trying to connect with our partner. And so if you know that this is like a normal habit that you like lean to or that you engage in, there's nothing wrong with you, right? So when your partner withdraws or when you pursue or whatever it is, this is actually like super normal and super normal behavior that we all engage in in one way or the other. And so how that plays out and how she's just so able to eloquently tell us how that looks, I think it just normalizes all these tensions that we might feel every day in our pursuer withdrawer relationships with each other. I mean, let's be honest, you're pursuing me all the time. That's basically what happens in our relationship. Maybe it's the other way around. Yes. I mean, I would definitely say you are more the pursuer. Okay. I don't think I like withdraw necessarily mm. fully, but yeah. I don't engage. Sure. We may need to unpack this a little yeah. bit individually. <laughs> Offline. But, Offline. I mean, we don't have to say everything on the internet. Well, I, let's also talk about how hard it is to even to, talk to, about sex. I mean, we're sitting here talking. I thought you were going to say, let's talk about how hard it is for 40 minutes. Oh, that too. I mean, let's just say 40 minutes right there, y'all. Uh, Which we unpack that a little bit in the Q&A that you'll hear next week in our next episode. Yes. So really do not miss the Q&A. And uh, hopefully we're going to ask, um, do some more question and answer parts that you can engage in on Instagram oh, and yeah. things like that, that we really want you to be a part of too. So, so today, the point of this whole thing is for you and your partner to talk about this, right? For maybe you and a close friend to talk about it. You have someone to talk about to open up this conversation to make your sex life better. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do. Yeah. But you can do it. And we've done it. We've talked with other people about it. We, I will say when we first engaged each other in honest conversation, it was hard. Very hard. But then we both realized, oh, this is what we want. Yeah. And it also, when I started talking with more women, for me personally, when I started talking with more women about it as well... I actually realized like, oh, we all have these same kinds of struggles and it actually made it easier then 
to then talk about it with you. Well, what's funny is now all these women want to talk to you about it. And I love it. Bring it. Wow. Bring it. All right. Well, listen, if you if this is the first time you've heard Lori Watson, this is a great intro to her. We will hear more from her in a really unplugged Q&A next yes. week. But if you've never heard of her, you should check out her podcast, right? Yes. Lori's podcast is called Four Play Radio. And it is a great, great podcast about sex in general, but she goes into way more depth, even with the withdrawal pursuer things. But there's topics and questions and all kinds of things that you can look through her years of the podcast to find specific things that you might be looking for answers to as well. Yeah. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully this stirred up your conversation skills Sex that life? might lead to the bedroom. Oh my goodness. But do not miss next week with our Q&A. And that's another episode of Love, Love or Work. work. This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.